I just ask that you would take what I'm about to say and make it real, make it challenging, oh God. Father, Lord, people haven't come to hear me, they've come to hear you. So take what I say and make it real. Make it full of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So many of you may not know this and many of you would know this. But as a church, we have a church mandate. And what it is, is just a, a series of statements that basically says what we're about, what we value, what we think is important. And it's like a plumb line. It's like a, a little guy that we have that says, should we make this decision? Does it fit with where we're going? And I haven't spoken about it for a long time, and maybe I will in the next little while. And maybe you'd like to read it. We can go to our hub, and uh, it's on our hub. But if you really wanted a copy, because I'm talking a little bit about it today, you can just email Jacinta, and she will make sure that you can, you can get one. So I just want to start off with and really speak this morning around the very first like line, right? And it says this, right? And it's just a summary of what we are about. If you want to know what our church is about, this is really it in one sentence, right? Emerge church, building disciples of Christ who through their life and example make the teachings of Jesus attractive. Everyone say the word attractive. We need to be attractive. And if you've been around here any length of time, you know that that's a word that we commonly use. There needs to be something about us as devoted disciples of Christ that makes us different and attracts people to God. Now, it's not our physical appearance, because some of you might be attractive and some of you, nah, well, I'm, you know, right, fingers pointing back at me. Let me tell you, I uh, can't get rid of this, but it doesn't matter. But it's our attitudes, our behaviours, our disposition, our responses to people should be different to the general populace that don't follow God. And in a world without God, that should make us attractive. That should draw people to us. That's the real definition of attraction and attractiveness is that someone is drawn to you. You attract them by your behavior. So Jesus, Isaiah tells us, was not attractive to look at. I can imagine that in heaven, right? When Isaiah's writing this, you can just see Jesus like, really? Like, what are you doing? Why? Why can't I go as someone good looking? He was Jewish. I believe that he has a big nose, right? So, and, and that would be, a, you know, it's not that attractive, but it could be not bad. But though not handsome, Jesus was the most attractive person on the whole planet. So today, I want to give you a Bible beauty tip. Now, it's not a lotion. It's not a cream. It's not an exercise regime. It's not some secret spring that they've just discovered in the Middle East that if you drink from it, you're going to have eternal youth. But this promises to make you attractive. And it comes from Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived. And I want us to read it together because it's a very short verse. Proverbs 19, verse 22. And it says, and it doesn't say, all right. All right, it says, kindness makes a person attractive. Right, your kindness makes you attractive. Kindness is God's attraction method. And I believe that kindness is a quality 
that's actually getting harder to find in our modern society. You know, as we become more and more isolated and we become more and more about the individual, it's actually harder to find kind people. People today are all about demanding their rights and having our desires met and having our needs met. You know, we live sometimes by the nice guys finish last. It's a survival of the fittest. If you don't take it, someone else will. And these maxims can make the world a very unkind place for many people. And there's not a lot of kindness, especially if you've messed up or you haven't measured up. You can get cancelled in a second. And I want to tell you, for all their virtual singling, many of this generation's influences are not kind at all. Social media has made it so much easier for us to be unkind. Just ask any sportsman or any politician or worse still, any significant Christian leader. You know, I'm good friends with Pastor Russell Evans who, who looks after Planet Shakers Church, who, by the way, is going to be here on January the 8th and going to be preaching. We're going to finish our uh, week of prayer and fasting at the start of the year with Pastor Russell and all in, all the congregations coming together uh, in one place. It's going to be a great Sunday. But Russell has gone off social media because of the hate, the vitriol, by people he's never met who have no idea who he is, the accusations and all this rubbish, because he would just start perfecting his spirit because of all the hate and the criticism and the unkindness that was happening. So he's decided, I'm not going to engage in social media anymore. And I want to say it's not the kingdom of God. If you're one of those people who are going to call out some Christian leader or something or something that you didn't like, and you're going to use social media to do it, stop. Just don't. You got something against your brother, go to him yourself. Right? Don't do it on social media. Don't be getting on the keyboard, grinding, cleaning. That's not the Jesus way. Jesus said, you got a problem. You go to that person and you tell them yourself and have a conversation and be able to listen and walk in someone else's shoes for five minutes rather than be a keyboard warrior that knows everything but is actually, just stop it. Just stop it. Come on, we should give someone a hand for that. That's good preaching. Social media should be about this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That should be our heart in speaking to people. That should be our heart in the things that we do, in the social media that we engage in. What are we thinking about? What is that taking our thoughts towards? But back to our verse. Kindness makes a person attractive. Now, the word kindness translated here from the Hebrew word, it's the Hebrew word checkered. And it's used 249 times in the Old Testament. So kindness in the Bible is not a foreign concept. It's not just something kind of hinted at in some obscure passage. Two. 149 times the Bible talks about kindness in the Old Testament, usually talking about God. And when you look at the, how many the different words that the word is then used, we get a little bit of an idea of what God is talking about when he's talking about kindness. So 149 times it's translated as the word mercy. I love that. Mercy is 
is kindness. The fact that I could have judged but chose not to is mercy. That's kindness. And let me tell you, it sounds like Jesus to me. 40 times it's actually translated as the word kindness, as in the scripture we read this morning. 30 times, it's like loving kindness. So it's not just a kind, but there's an emotion of love behind the kindness that you're showing. 12 times, it's translated as the word goodness, which is just like, there's just something good about you. You know, Phil and Glenda are here, but that's what I can say. There's a spirit of goodness on their lives. When you're with them, after a little bit of time, you just want to be better. There's something good about them and there's a kindness to them. You know that they are kind people and there's many people in this church like that. Five times it's kindly, like the grandmotherly, like there, there, young man. It'll be all right. There, there, young man. I, I like that. I do, as a, you know, the, the people in this church who say that to me, I like that. They call me young, right? <laughs> Four times it's merciful. Three times it's favour. See, showing favour favor to someone, that's a kindness. And there's one time it's pity. One time it's translated the word pity. And I just think that's when you see someone's predicament from their eyes. And so you feel sad for them. You want to be able to help them because you see this thing that you want to try and help them in. So now the overwhelmingly majority of cases, the word is used to describe God and his actions, which is pretty amazing because the Old Testament has this reputation that God's out there just getting you every five minutes. The moment that you did something wrong, God's getting you. But 249 times is talking about the kindness of God. We have to actually understand something about the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written to show us the heart of man not the heart of God. And when it describes the heart of God, it almost always describes God in a loving, kind, forgiving manner. His kindness comes across again and again and again. I just want to show you just three stories of the Old Testament where we see the kindness of God or we see the effect of kindness in people's lives. In Joshua 2, God saves Rahab the prostitute because of the kindness that she has shown the Israelite spies. See, kindness doesn't just make you attractive to others. Kindness actually makes you attractive to God as well. In Ruth chapter 2, we see Boaz show kindness to Ruth, who was a foreign Moabite woman, right? And he gave her extra wheat. He made sure that as she followed finding the wheat and gleaning, that there was extra wheat. He ends up marrying her, and they become part of the lineage of Jesus. But he showed kindness because he shouldn't be showing kindness to a Moabite woman. He shouldn't be showing kindness to someone who's a foreigner. But we see that God demonstrates his kindness to us in allowing all of us to come into his kingdom by accepting Jesus. In 2 Samuel 9, we see that David showed kindness to the disabled grandson of his enemy. See, where the tradition of the day was just to get rid of anyone who could become a potential rival, and so you would just make sure there was no one left of that family, David makes a place for Mephibosheth so that he can eat at his very table. That's kindness. And we see that tradition 
shouldn't stop us from being kind. In all three stories, we see someone being kind, stepping out of their comfort zone to do something for someone else, someone that they were most likely higher than, someone they could have forgotten, someone they could have overlooked, someone they could have taken for granted, but they instead showed kindness. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 6 says, we prove ourselves. I show what I'm about. How? By my purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. See, kindness is sort of like the proving ground for a Christian in how he deals with others. And when we do it right, the Bible shows us here that even the Holy Spirit gets involved in the act and convicts us to be kind. Showing kindness is one thing we all can do and it will always prove our Christianity. It will always make us attractive. It will always draw some people to us. See, many non-Christians have the misconceptions that Christians are sour and dour and judgmental and wanting to stop them having fun. But when you're kind to them for nothing in return, then you have an inroad into their hearts. Now, Jesus tells us a great parable, and you've all heard it before, and I want to have a look at this and just take some things from it. It describes kindness, how kindness we to show, and it also describes who should be showing kindness and who we should be showing kindness to. So Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, which is a priest as well, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, didn't need to be an expert. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus is addressing a cynic. This guy has no intention of following Jesus. In fact, he just wants to trap Jesus. He's not interested in Jesus' answer other than how can I trap him? I'm an expert in the law. I'm going to get Jesus. If he doesn't answer right, and Jesus asks him a question. So he says, you know, like, 
got no spiritual hunger. So in his smugness, I can just imagine the smug way that he's asking. That what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing the, the true motives of his heart, says, well, what does religion say? What is, what is religion? And this guy then parrots it off and says all of these things, right? And then Jesus says, right now you go and do this. Notice that the guy does not defend himself when it comes to you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and all of this. He doesn't defend himself there because he thinks he's doing that. He's self-righteous. I'm doing that. I'm an expert in the law. I know it all. I do it all perfect. I wash my hands just right. I do the sacrifice just right. I go just at the right time. I'm perfect. I just do it right. I love the Lord God. I'm perfect. But the moment that Jesus says, go love your neighbor as yourself, all of a sudden, that's where he's hit. Not hit in the, in the practice. He's hit in the actual doing. He's actually hit when it comes to, well, do you love your neighbor as yourself? So wanting to justify himself, the Bible says that, when he just says, oh, he's my neighbor. So he's trying to justify himself. And that's when Jesus tells the famous story. Now I want to say, our fellow Christians are not our neighbors. They're our brothers and sisters. It's the world that we go out into that's our neighbors. It's not your brothers and sisters. So Jesus tells a famous story in a place. Jewish man, beaten, robbed, and it's very important to know he's a Jewish man, left for dead on the road to Jericho, and three people encounter him, a priest who was religious. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a religious expert here, religious, uh, who is an expert in religious law. The priest is scared that going near this guy is going to make him unclean. He's not allowed to touch a dead man. He's not allowed to touch all these different things, blood and all that. So he's got. no, I'm not even going to make the effort to see whether he's dead or not. So he just walks on past. He doesn't even go over to see whether it's okay or not. His unswerving adherence, adherence to his dogma and religious faith made it so that he wouldn't even help a fellow Jew. And he actually thinks he's doing the right thing. I don't want to know. I have higher responsibilities. That's for someone else to do. The next guy on the scene is a temple assistant. He's at least walks over the guy, but looks and then calculates how much time will this take, how much it's going to cost. I have other responsibilities. It's all too hard. He's a foolish man anyway. What is he doing by himself on this road? It's just, you know, I've got the power to do good, but I just couldn't be bothered. I'm going to read to you two scriptures, and I've got a warning before I read you these two scriptures. Right? Once you've heard these scriptures, you're responsible for them. All right? So I'm about to read them. So if you don't want to know, this is the time to close your eyes, put your fingers in your ear. All right? I'm giving you fair warning because once you've heard it, you're responsible for these two scriptures. You don't want to know. I'm giving you a warning right now. Close your eyes. I'm looking now. All right? <laughs> Stick your fingers in your ear. James 4 verse 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Proverbs 3.27. You get one more chance to, because this one brings it home. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, even when it's in your power to act. We're called to be kind. It's part of kingdom living. 
We've got to go outside of ourselves to the things that are uncomfortable to people that, that we don't even really want to have anything to do with because we're called to be the hands and feet and the love of God in the world today. The next guy is Samaritan. Jesus specifically says Samaritan because Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. He wasn't one of them. He's telling an expert in religious law to be like a Samaritan who the, 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 the religious law is a scum. You know, have nothing to do with those people. He, in our modern terms, he was like, a, like, I don't know, some woke person from Berkeley University in California, right? Completely different to everything that we think, right? He's just that guy there and, or girl there. And the story goes and shows the kindness and the lengths of kindness that the Samaritan went to help the Jewish man. See, sometimes being kind costs you something, costs you time, costs you effort, costs you money. To actually go and be kind to someone, to actually go and take time to see what life is like for themselves and to actually help someone. Which one was the neighbor? Not the priest, not the temple assistant, but the Samaritan. And so my exhortation to you this morning is as Jesus said to the religious, go and do likewise. Go and find those people and just be kind. You know, recently I was just talking with uh, Pastor Shane Willard and he's in America at the moment. And this week he's going to go to a basketball game, NBA. The Warriors are playing, apparently they're very good. So I don't know anything about basketball, sorry. But uh, I don't care about sports. I'm not good at, right? So, <laughs> right. So, so I said, I um. So he told me this story, and there's a, a couple that he's known for a long time, who got pregnant, and uh, in the middle of the pregnancy, they started seeing that the baby wasn't forming the way that it was supposed to, and they recommended the couple to have an abortion. They said, "We're not having an abortion. That's not what we do. So we're not going to be doing that." And then as the baby got. Uh, you know, nearer, they, they said, look, there's no chance that this child will survive, you know, outside the womb. You really need to have an abortion right now. No, we're not having an abortion. A child is born, and they say, sorry, your child's not going to live for a week. It's, it's very sorry to say, it, you, you know, like, and, and so we're just going to believe God. And a week went into a month, and a month went. Two years, the boy was in hospital. They were able to then bring him home. And nine years old, he had lived in a completely, you know, that old boy in the plastic bubble, right? Just in a, the boy in a plastic bubble, he'd never been outside. Never been outside of that bubble because of all the different things that were going on. But he started getting stronger and stronger as able now to go outside. Pastor Shane said, you know what I'm going to do? You love NBA. I'm going to pay for you when I'm in America. I'm going to pay for you and your father to come over. And uh, we're going to go watch an NBA game together, which is pretty amazing. Pretty kind, pretty good, right? So uh, he thinks that's fantastic. They have to go through so much effort. See, if it was easy, just buy a ticket, send it to him. Here's an email. Do, do, do. No, they have to talk to doctors. They have to get insurance issues. They have to talk to the airline. They have to do all of these different things. See, showing kindness isn't just about taking one step. Oh, I'm going to be kind. That's a bit of virtue signaling, making out your kind. It's when you actually take that step and that step and that step, and actually do something. And so they did all of those things, and the boy was able to, to get over to America, and this week's going to go see. So Shane wrote a letter to the Warriors organization saying, you know, this is the story of the boy. Would you be able to do something? And 
I'm guessing an organisation like that gets a thousand letters like that every week. And so they said, we're very sorry for what's happened. And, you know, can you prove that it's a true story? Because obviously people try and scam the system and that. And so while they were doing that, right, it was just nothing was really happening. And uh, Shane knew someone who knew a radio announcer in that area. It's in California, is it, Jason? Right, so it's in California. This California radio announcer got involved somewhere, the media guy, the Warriors, that media guy spoke to the owner of the Warriors, right? The owner of the Warriors rang up Shane and said, we're going to have courtside seats for you. And then listen to this, right? We're going to get Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson to shoot some basketballs with him. How cool is that? That's kindness. Something good happens out of it. Maybe the band could come. See, we all have an opportunity you might not be able to pay for some disabled child to go and live out a dream there and see the Warriors play basketball, but you can do something. You can be merciful. You can do something for someone who doesn't deserve it. You can be kind to someone that we think we might be a little bit better than. Don't be like the priest and just dismiss being kind. Someone else will do it. I don't need to do this because I already do so many other things. It's other people's gift to show mercy. That's not mine. Don't be like the temple assistant for whom it's all too hard. How can I meet a need that big? It's too much work. My job, they won't let me do those type of things. People are always complaining anyway. Right? It's not that bad. They'll get through. No, be the good Samaritan, even if it costs you. Take the challenge. This week, I'm going to just list some things. Take an extra moment and listen to that guy or girl in the office that's just a talk fest. You'd rather not talk to them, but just sit down and listen to them, talk to them. Smile at the shop assistant and just wish them a happy day. They have so many sour customers. Why don't you be that one that smiles? Ask them about how they're going. Right? Even if they don't give you a nice reply back, you're not doing it for the reply you're getting back. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Send a text to someone this week who you know is doing it tough. Buy someone a coffee after church today. Ask your neighbour if there's something you can do to help them. Visit an older relative. Let someone in traffic. That's a good one. Hold in that outburst of anger. Look for what someone did right rather than pick on the thing they did wrong. Hold your unkind words when someone does something stupid or you see some ridiculous thing on the internet. Instead of judging someone, just take a moment and think, what would I be like if I'd lived their life? Some of the biggest discriminations we have are because we just haven't seen the lives that people lived that got them to the place where they got to. Volunteer somewhere without expecting anything in return. Buy a present for a kid for our Christmas show. Here's a hard one. Looking straight at Jason. Tell the boss he's doing a good job. <laughs> right? Oh, thank you. Oh, he's going to fire that boy. Next one, compliment someone, but not flattery. Yeah. 
All right. <laughs> Flattery is where you say something nice, but you don't mean it. All right? That's what it is. Compliment means you mean it. When you flatter someone, the Bible says you're spreading a net. I'm trying to get something. That's what a sleazy salesman does. He wants you to buy something, so he'll compliment you. Oh, you look good today, sir. I like people with big noses. That always gets me. I buy every time. All right? Just be kind. This week, just be kind. Do this test with me for one week. Before you go to sleep at night this week, just go ask yourself, how attractive was I today? The people that I dealt with, how did I leave them feeling? Don't make it about yourself. Make it about how they're feeling. Are they having a better day because they came across you or are they having a worse day because they came across you? Are you smiling? Are you kind? Are you willing to do something on their behalf even if it's uncomfortable or it costs you something? As you go to sleep for seven days, just say, was I kind or was I unkind? If you think of that moment where you were unkind, then just say, God, I'm sorry for that and I'm going to do better the next time. Sometimes my best kindnesses have come after I've been unkind and then I've been convicted of how I acted and what I said. You know, there were times when, when those people ring you up on the phone, right? And I was sitting there and they would ring me up and they go, oh, is this Mark Helmendor? You know, there's some finance thing we need you to do. And I'd go, how'd you get my number? I didn't give you my personal number. How'd you get my personal? And I'd go, hardcore, hardcore, hardcore. And one day I was driving a squash with Mark Bromley and uh, one of these guys come on and I was mean and I was unkind and I was thinking, this guy ring me up, rah, rah, and that. And Mark just says, why don't you just be nice to them? I said, oh, shut up, Mark. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not very kind to say that. Right? But it convicted me. I've never, ever again. And then this week I heard two stories of someone who prayed for the person that rang them up. How amazing is that? When you've got a bit of a different attitude, going to make their day. Imagine your life is so that you have to be doing that job. Scamming people, right? Like it'd be horrible. Father, I just ask that as we face different circumstances this week, as we meet different people, oh God, Father, let's be kind. Let's be kind, oh God. Father, kind in our interactions. Kind, Father, in our dealings, oh God. Kind in our reactions and responses, oh God. Father, Lord, let this church be a kind church. Let this church be an attractive church, oh God. Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus, we want to be a church that builds disciples of Christ, that by our behaviour and the life that we lead, oh God, we will make your teachings attractive, oh God. That's our heart. That's who we want to be, oh God. We just ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning's message isn't such a spiritual one with some doctrines and, and some different things. So it's not an altar call. 
My altar call today is go, get out and be kind. All right, my altar call is on Tuesday morning when that person, I'm just going to be kind. When on Wednesday afternoon, say, oh, I'm just going to be kind. That person at the dog park, I'm going to be kind. All right, just bring some insect repellent and put it in the ball holder, right? So everyone doesn't get eaten by mosquitoes. That's kind. It's being nice to some people. It's being kind. You know, God was kind to us. We're coming into our Christmas time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. The kindness of God to us so, so well today in our communion message by Pastor Rachel. Right, that God was kind. Decided not to hold against us all the things that we've done wrong, but instead showing mercy and kindness and saying, I don't want to be a judge. I want to be a friend. I want to walk with you.